these questions. What is heaven really like? Will I recognize everyone who's gone before me? And what about my pets? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each week, Pat and his friends provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ. This week, we're listening to another one of the exciting messages taken from our recent Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Each year, Pat hosts this conference, which features some of the premier Christian scholars and apologists from around this nation. Our theme was Evidence of Life Beyond the Grave and featured noted Christian scholars Dr. Gary Habermas and Dr. Ron Rhodes. Dr. Ron Rhodes presented a fabulous study entitled, The Wonder of Heaven. So without delay, let's listen to part one as Dr. Rhodes provides us with a biblical insight of heaven. I'm excited to bring this message because this is one of my favorite topics. And you know, I came across an Indiana cemetery where there was a tombstone over 100 years old. And the tombstone had the following epitaph on it. It said, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. (laughs) You know, what's funny is that somebody was walking by one day and decided to write some more words underneath. And they wrote this. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) Well, that's a good thought. You know, you never know which way the guy went. I've always found that a person's dying moments are very educational. Many people are unprepared for the moment. I think about General John Sedgwick, who died in 1864, and he told his men on the front lines, don't worry, boys, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. (laughs) And then the fatal bullet struck. Some people show a sense of humor. Do you remember Spike Milligan, who died back in 2002? He said, I told you I was ill, and then he just conked over dead immediately. Ethan Allen, the American revolutionary general who died in 1789, said, Waiting, are they? Waiting, are they? Well, let them wait. He was talking to his doctor, and the doctor had told him that the angels are waiting on the other side. Well, he could have cared less about the angels waiting on the other side. He was trying to make it through life. Some unbelievers are full of despair at the moment of death. Louis Meyer, who was a famous film producer, said, Nothing matters. Nothing matters. And then he died. You see, that's what it's like to be without Christ and passing through death's door. Voltaire, who died in 1778, said, I wish I had never been born shortly before his death. He implored his doctor, I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six more months of life. Some unbelievers are simply unsure of what to expect. Philosopher Thomas Hobbes said, I am about to take my last voyage, a great leap in the dark. How would you like to have that viewpoint? Or what about Francois Rebelais, who died in 1553, who said, I am going to the great perhaps. He's not very sure about things, is he? Now, you and I know where we're going, right? Why? Because the Bible tells us. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Some unbelievers are oblivious to their mortal danger. Charles Darwin, who died in 1882, said, I am not the least afraid to die. Saddam Hussein, who died in 2006, was executed by hanging. And right before he died, he said, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is God's messenger. My friends, I cannot imagine what it would have been like for him. You know, the moment that his spirit departed the body, he was expecting paradise with Allah. 
But then sudden realization descended upon him that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords and is seated upon the throne of highest glory. And it is before him alone that we must stand in judgment. You see how sobering it must have been when that realization came. How different it is for those of us who love Jesus. Amen? I think about John Wesley who said at the moment of death, the best of all is God is with us. Some years earlier, his mama, Susanna, said, Children, when I am gone, sing a song of praise to God. You see, they knew where she was going. Joseph Addison, a writer who died in 1719 as a Christian, said, See in what peace a Christian can die. Lady Glenorchy, a really rich lady who supported many people with her money in terms of missionary work, said, If this is dying, it is the pleasantest thing imaginable. Missionary David Brainerd, before his death, said, I am going into eternity, and it is sweet for me to think of eternity. You know why they can say that? Because they know Jesus. Jesus is their Savior. Now, here's why it's relevant. According to the latest polls, the current death rate is 100%. (laughs) Worldwide, three people die every second. 180 people die every minute. 11,000 people die every hour. And 250,000 die every day. That means that by the time I finish speaking to you today, somewhere around 90,000 people will have died on this planet. You see, from our perspective, we're insulated from all those deaths. We live in our little cities, and we're not aware of all these massive deaths taking place. But from God's vantage point in heaven, he looks down upon puny earth, and there are souls literally flying out of bodies constantly. So death is an ever-present reality, and it's a reality that you and I will face, but as we will see tonight, the stinger has been taken out of death. Amen? I care about one thing, and that is blessing the body of Christ. That is all I care about. And to the extent that I can reflect what God's word teaches, I consider that a success. So these books are just there to help you. And tonight, very briefly, I'm going to talk about all things perfect, all things new, all things wonderful, and assuming there's enough time, a few frequently asked questions, and then I'll talk about why it matters in terms of living in light of eternity. So let's just hop right into this. Let's talk about all things perfect. For one thing, we are going to have perfect bodies. I call it body upgrades with permaflesh. See, permaflesh is the kind of flesh that doesn't get old. It doesn't get wrinkles. You don't get sick anymore. You see, it's permanent. It is eternal. And that's the kind of body that we're going to have one day. You know, Paul says that the human body goes into the ground perishable as a seed, just like you're planting a seed. However, God raises it imperishable. Listen to his words. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And that's 1 Corinthians 15, 42 and 43. This is so rich in the original languages. This word perishable about our earthly bodies, it it indicates disease and infections and wearing down and death is just a matter of time. But by contrast, our resurrection body will be imperishable, completely healthy and strong forever, youthful forever, disease-free, infection-free, death-free. Doesn't that sound great? Our earthly body dies in dishonor. Now, to be sure, we do honor our dead by having lots of nice flowers and we have nice caskets. And we say very nice things about our loved ones. But still, our bodies return to the dust. And in that sense, Paul says it's dishonoring. However, we are raised in glory. And all liability to frailty and death are gone forever. And that's why I say that we will have permaflesh. 
Our present earthly bodies die in weakness. Our vitality wanes. The outward man is decaying, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. However, we will be raised in power. We won't need sleep. No recuperation. No tiring. No incapacities. Perpetual fullness of strength. Indeed, this is a rich, rich passage that talks about how perfect our resurrection body will be. Now, the reality of our body upgrade guarantees that death will be swallowed up forever. And I love this teaching. I love it. The Old Testament promises that in heaven, death will be swallowed up forever. And Paul, an Old Testament expert, said, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Now, here's what you got to understand. The ancient Hebrews believed that death swallowed up the living. But because of what Christ has accomplished for you and me, in heaven, this is reversed. The resurrection and the heavenly state will forever swallow up death. You see, so death is being defied by the Apostle Paul here. Now, there's a tremendous word picture that Paul provides. He talks about a tent versus a building, comparing our earthly body with our resurrection body. And he says this, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Probably Paul is referring to the tabernacle and the stone temple. Now Paul was a tent maker. Paul knew how easy it is to knock down a tent. Paul knew that tents wear out and give way and the fabric dissolves. And it's in that context that Paul tells us that our earthly bodies are much like a tent. Now, the most glorious building you could think of back in those days was the Jewish stone temple, you see. And so Paul talks about our resurrection bodies as being like that stone temple. Now, today, he might use a different analogy. He might use pup tents versus a really nice build, versus a nice building downtown. Some really sturdy, nice building. But the point is, our resurrection bodies will be strong and durable, and you won't be able to knock it down. They are eternal. But I got to tell you, every time you look in the mirror in the bathroom with those fluorescent lamps, you know what I'm talking about, right? We get reminded that our tents are wearing down. And I think that when God reminds us that our tents are wearing down, that's a really good time to have an eternal perspective. Do you agree with me? Isn't that something? It's really true. Now, apparently, we can still eat in our resurrection bodies. Jesus ate physical food four times after his resurrection. We know that our resurrection body will be just like Jesus's because as Philippians 3.21 tells us, Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Apparently, though, eating will be for enjoyment and not for sustenance. The tree of life has 12 crops of fruit on it, and there's other indications of eating, too. So I'm looking forward to that good heavenly cooking. It's going to be awesome. And again, uh, as I've stated before, I don't think you gain weight after eating in heaven, okay, because our bodies will be perfect. Our body upgrades will be perfectly suitable for dwelling in God's presence. And I love this teaching from the Bible. It's really different than our present bodies because our present bodies are very weak. You remember how whenever God appeared to people in biblical times, they always fell down to their knees about to die? John fell at Christ's feet as though he was dead, Revelation 1.17. Abraham fell face down, Genesis 17.3. Manoah fell face down, Judges 13.20. Ezekiel fell face down, Ezekiel 3.23. You know, these body upgrades, though, will enable us to be face-to-face with God. See, these are specially suited for dwelling with God in his direct presence. And that's really something wonderful to think about. You know, the, the, the psalmist declared, as for me, 
I shall behold your face. The apostle John declared that God's people will see his face. The book of Revelation affirms they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. With them face to face. And of course the psalmist exults, in your presence, O Lord, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, so our special body upgrades, our resurrection bodies will be specially suited to living in God's direct presence. Now we'll not only have perfect bodies, we will have a perfect physical dwelling according to scripture. You're not going to be floating around in some twilight zone in your resurrection body. We will be physically resurrected, and it's my belief that physically resurrected bodies require a physical place to live in. We will have physically resurrected bodies. We will live on a resurrected earth in a resurrected universe. Scripture refers to a new heavens and a new earth, and I'll talk about that in just a little bit. But it's going to be an awesome experience. Now, now I want you to notice the wording of Jesus in John 14, verses 1 to 3. Where Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. And notice those words, house, rooms, a place. That seems to be a physical dwelling that Christ is preparing for us. And there's plenty of rooms, many, many rooms. Plenty of rooms for all of us and more. Now, this physical dwelling place will be a perfect paradise, according to scripture. Paradise means what? It means garden of pleasure or garden of delight. Paul himself was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that is not permitted to tell. Why wasn't Paul permitted to tell? You know, I sometimes wonder about that. Could it be that it's so awesome, that heaven is so glorious and so resplendent and so ineffable that if everybody knew how great it was from Paul that everybody would want to be there today? I wonder about that. I think that heaven must be just that awesome. One thing is for sure, after Paul was caught up to paradise, he could hardly wait to get back there. That's what he said in Philippians 121. He says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. And you know why he says that, right? He's been there, done that. He's been there, done that. He's been in heaven. He wants to go back. And that's the kind of attitude that you and I can have because what we have is the Bible that tells us all about heaven and the afterlife. Now, this paradise is a place far better than here. You know, when you look around at the earth, there are many things to be sad about. But in heaven, it's a place that's far better than here. Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. In the Greek, that means much more better. That's not good English, but that's what it means. Very far better. We don't talk like that, but that's what it means. Paul says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Why does he say that? Because heaven is very much better. Paul knew it, and so we can learn it. Now, this paradise is a place of no more curse. A place of no more curse. By Adam's sin, the world was cursed. But according to Revelation 22, 3, no longer will there be any curse in heaven. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. You know, I read a book not long ago that talked about how sin and the curse indicates that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Just look at what sin has done in your own life. In terms of your relationships, you might have some bad relationships. They're not the way they're supposed to be. Or what about your relationship to your own body? I'm talking about health and disease. It's not the way it's supposed to be. 
death and dying. It's not the way it's supposed to be. The hurt and pain that we have in our lives, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Now all of this, the curse and sin, will be removed in heaven and it will be glorious. This paradise is also a place of no darkness. A place of no darkness. John said the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its light. And then it goes on to tell us that there's no night there. You see, so if you can imagine the glory of God shining throughout the eternal city, uh, that's what's going to happen. And we're told that the eternal city is made of transparent gold. Just imagine the glory of God shining through that transparent gold. What an awesome sight it will be. Further, this paradise is a place of no sickness. Scripture refers to the tree of life when the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. Now, it's not that we're going to get sick and need healing. Rather, there will be perpetual healing throughout all eternity. This paradise is a place of overflowing joy. You fill me with joy in your presence, the psalmist says, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And we serve a God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Uh, Today, we have to work ourselves up to enjoy things, don't we? We have to plan special nights to enjoy things, don't we? But I need to tell you that joy and enjoyment will be the status quo in heaven. It's just going to be the way that things are in heaven. In many ways, this perfect paradise is perfectly indescribable. Would you mind if I read a little scripture to you? Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Here we go. (laughs) Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, I love this part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these things down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And just think about this. Just think about it. What we see in Revelation is the scene of such transcendent splendor that we can scarcely take it in. Our brains just can't even imagine it. There's an ecstatic joy and fellowship of sinless angels and redeemed, glorified human beings that takes place. And the voice of the Alpha and the Omega says, Behold, I am making all things new. How awesome a message this is for those of us who witness how everything is decaying and growing old on earth. God makes everything new. It's perfectly indescribable. Think about the fact that the walls are built of jasper stone and the city is made of a shining transparent gold. The foundations of the city are precious stones and the gates are pearls. The streets are transparent as glass. Now think about all those precious jewels with the glory of God Almighty shining through it like a giant prism. You see, the mind cannot even take it in. I think personally that John is trying to describe something that is absolutely indescribable in human words. He's picking the coolest words he can find in terms of jewels and precious metals and so forth to describe what heaven is like. We all expect that the reality is far greater than even John's description. One thing is for sure, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul, who had been caught up there and seen it, said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's how good it is. Now, I need to tell you, my wife Carrie is a school teacher. 
She teaches young kids and she teaches them Bible and history. And so she went on an exercise and asked kids what they thought about heaven. Now, I've got a point to make here. I want you to bear with me as I share with you what the children have to say. Not everything they say is in the Bible, but they've got some really cool ideas. Just listen to this. Michael, age six, says of his house in heaven, my house will be made out of Reese's cups and filled with chocolate. That sounds pretty good. Sam, age five, said no one dies and no one cries and everyone gets a lot of food. Okay. (laughs) Ben, age nine, said, I think heaven looks like a giant forest with a golden path. Diamonds will grow on trees, and trees will have faces, and so do mountains. There are flying ships and floating islands. Sounds like some kind of movie, doesn't it? (laughs) Ted, age eight, said, I think heaven will have the doors that have your name on it, and when you open the door that has your name on it, there's a lot of fun stuff inside. (laughs) Claire, age 10, said, heaven is nothing like earth. There are no scary dreams. No thunderstorms and no bullies. I imagine streets of gold, a beautiful landscape, high mountains and fresh green valleys. Anna, age nine, waxed eloquent and had lots to say. She said, I will see my grandpa running happy and young. Little angels will be playing in the fields. The gates will be made of pearls. You will never have to worry about cavities or what you eat. Maybe God's castle will be made out of tiny rosebuds. Uh, let me just insert that you won't have allergies in heaven. Okay? There won't be any darkness, and all the houses will be made out of rhinestones that shimmer. The picket fences won't be made out of wood, but sunflowers. There are flowers everywhere, some that you have seen and some that you have not seen. Okay, none of this is not in the Bible. But you know what excites me about reading this? These kids have such a strong sense of wonder and awe. How did we lose this as adults? How do we get so used to things that we lose the sense of wonder and awe about what our future holds? Don't you think that maybe the the prince of darkness has tried to get us to be so focused on this world that we really don't have anything to look forward to? You see, I think that God looks on these little children and smiles when he hears them talking like that. And I also think that God wants you and I as adults to be excited and have a sense of wonder regarding what our future holds in heaven. And I think that unless we have that, we're missing out on one of the primary reasons why God has revealed all of this to us. Am I resonating with you? Don't you feel the same way? There is a good reason to have a good sense of wonder and awe. And there's not going to be any more curse, only perfect restoration. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, perfect proximity to God. God's servants shall serve him, perfect expenditure of time. God's name will be on our foreheads. Perfect identification. There should be no night there, for the Lord gives them light. Perfect illumination. They shall reign forever and ever and ever with Christ. Perfect exaltation. That's why I ask, what could be better? Now, heaven is not only in something that involves all things perfect. It involves all things new. And let me tell you what I mean by that. As a contrast, consider Mount Rushmore. This is a great accomplishment of man, but the thing is decaying. Cracks have developed, and there had to be a lot of workmen go up there and fix the nose and other parts of the body up there. And, uh, you know, everything that humans touch eventually breaks down and dissolves, right? I mean, no matter how glorious it may seem at first, everything falls apart that human beings have a part of. In any event, by contrast to the stuff that's decaying on earth, the new heavens and the new earth is where we're going to exist for all eternity. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth, God says in Isaiah 65, 17. 
And then in Revelation 21.1, we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, I need to tell you that words can have different meanings in different contexts. I, I talked about this last hour. For example, the word trunk can mean the front of an elephant or the back of the car or the bottom of a tree. You know, different contexts will tell you what the word means. The word heaven is the same way. The word heaven can mean different things in different contexts. It can refer to the first heaven, which is the Earth's atmosphere. The second heaven is outer space with all the galaxies and stars out there. And then, of course, the third heaven is God's dwelling place. And that's where the Apostle Paul was caught up, according to 2 Corinthians 12. We've run out of time today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Rhodes' study on the wonder of heaven. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. Log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources just for you. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on the Donate button on the right-hand side of our homepage. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, visit them online at HC. MLP.com. Join us here next week for part two of this exciting study with Dr. Ron Rose.